0: Welcome back to the Go Gamecocks podcast. I'm Andrew filling in his host as I sit across the table from Greg Hadley. We are your basketball beat writers here at the State Newspaper. Greg on the women, uh, myself on Frank Martin's men's program. We start this episode by diving into Dawn Staley and her program. The number one team in all of women's college basketball right now proved it again Monday night by taking down Mississippi State in a thrilling 81-79 win, adding another exciting chapter to what is the SEC's most intriguing rivalry here of late. A couple of powers, not only in the league, but nationally. Uh, South Carolina came up with a uh, inspired fourth quarter to pull off a win in front of a great crowd again at Colonial Life Arena. And Greg... When you look back on it, this was a game where South Carolina, we talked about I think on our last episode about what would, how would South Carolina look in an adverse situation. They had a lot of blowouts. How would they able to pull through when they weren't in that setting, when they had to make some plays late? Certainly they proved it uh, against Mississippi State. They were put in that situation being down early in the fourth quarter. Uh, what in your mind were a few keys to get USC over the top?
1: Yeah, so like you mentioned last time we talked about, they hadn't even trailed at any point in an SEC game when we last talked. Then they uh, go to Missouri and deal with some of those situations. Missouri's always a team that plays the Gamecocks tough, and that was a a rough game for them, especially shooting-wise. So they kind of got a little bit of adversity out there on the road, and they come back home, and they come out strong again, go up 12, and then it just kind of seemed like the defense especially abandoned them a little bit. They were letting the Bulldogs really drive and get to the basket at will. And they go down nine in the fourth quarter and yet somehow scrap it out. And what I was really impressed by was, you know, in pressure situations, you expect your seniors to take over. And certainly the Gamecocks had some help from their seniors. But you saw also Aaliyah Boston, freshman forward. She's been so good all year. And really, when they were at their best on Monday against Mississippi State, they were finding her inside and she was imposing her will. Dawn Staley said after the game that, you know, she's not quite at the level where they can feed her 20 times a game, but sometimes it seems like they could and they'd be in a good spot. You know, I think there was at one point she she scored seven straight points for the Gamecocks in the fourth quarter and came up with some crucial rebounds, especially one I think Mississippi State had a shot with 20 seconds left, the ball was loose under the rim and she secured it. That was really important. And then Zaya Cook, another star freshman, I think was actually the one that sank a layup through contact, drew the foul, and that tied the game up at 74 late. She also was the one that secured the game-winning steal with, I think, eight seconds left. Mississippi State was trying to inbound the ball. South Carolina had a foul to give, so they fouled him, made sure they had to inbound him from the baseline to give maybe a little tougher an angle. And Zaya Cook kind of skied for the steal. Uh, a lot of people were comparing it because she played football when she was younger. And she really did look like a DB out there, I saw. <laughs> I think it was Israel McCormick or J.C. Horn kind of even tweeting about it. She she looked like a defensive back, really making some strong plays. So I think those were two keys. And then, like I said, the seniors were still important, and especially Taisha Harris. Mississippi State coach Vic Schaefer was talking about her as one of the premier point guards in the country. And she really is. She earned her, actually her first SEC Player of the Week on her, which is kind of crazy a little bit to think that it's taken her this long to get that. But she got that because she scored 23 points against Mississippi State. She scored the team's last five points, I think it was, including some free throws late under a lot of pressure when she had just taken a hard foul. So she was hugely important
0: as well. Yeah, we talked about those senior leaders, I think, in the last episode, too, and how they've been able to mesh well with this freshman star power. And that's really been the theme to this season so far. South Carolina now 18-1 and one, uh, and number one in the AP poll, number two in the coaches poll. Greg, that win on Monday obviously gives South Carolina uh, the upper hands in the SEC and now has a one-and-a-half game lead over the Bulldogs a uh, one-game lead over Tennessee, who's at 5-1 and one in the league. And the Lady Vols is, is coming up pretty soon on the schedule in, in early February. But what did that win just do for the league picture, from the national picture? Kind of obvious, obviously. <laughs> but point being, uh, there's not a whole lot to explain there, I guess, right? You beat Mississippi State, a top-10 team, and you add to an already impressive resume. I mean, can South Carolina's resume get any stronger? What did Monday's win do for this program? Well, I think it
1: continued to confirm that this team is really just the number one team in the country. I mean, I've honestly been surprised that the coaches keep voting them number two. But in terms of the SEC in particular, I thought it was interesting because we entered this year kind of thinking that this might be the time where South Carolina and Mississippi State get challenged at the top of the league. Texas A&M, Kentucky maybe Tennessee they all look like they could maybe crack the top of that standings and I know Tennessee is technically in second place right now but uh, you know Kentucky and Texas A&M have already picked up two losses Tennessee has already picked up a loss and is still yet to play South Carolina and I think Mississippi State so you look at that and I mean once again we saw the class of the SEC playing each other South Carolina and Mississippi State have defined the last say half decade of SEC women's basketball and this game as imperfect as it was for South Carolina at times, really redefined, reiterated, reemphasized how much that still is the case, even when we thought that might not be. And South Carolina coming out on top after losing three of the last four, it really kind of made it feel like you know if, if Mississippi State had won this one then the tide would definitely be in their favor in terms of this rivalry in South Carolina really despite at times looking extremely ragged especially on some of the inbound stuff like stuff that you wouldn't expect a, a well coached team like Don Staley's squads usually are to mess up they were kind of looked a little flustered at some points but they came together they found a way to win and they really have a very clear and obvious path to the number one seed in the SEC tournament.
0: You wrote a little bit about the rivalry entering the game and what the Mississippi State game means to South Carolina, obviously means to Mississippi State. Afterward, when, you, when they win in that kind of fashion, did you sense the sense of accomplishment, <laughs> a sense of pride, if you will? I mean, that that take away the fact that it was, yeah, you beat the number nine team in the country. Did you get a sense that that this was just more than that last night? because of the, the recent history between these two programs? Like, Dawn, could you feel it with her coming out with a win there?
1: A little bit, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I've been kind of surprised a little bit how Dawn has kind of dispensed a little bit with the coach speech, even in the lead-up to this game, where she said, you know, this does mean a little extra, whereas, you know, you're used to hearing coaches say every game counts the same, yada, yada, yada. She was like, yeah, no, this, this does mean more because we have been so good. We both have been so good over the past couple of years. So, in the aftermath of the win, you know, she definitely could point to some areas that they still need to get better in, but she was very pleased, I think, overall, more than she would be against, you know, another team if it was that close.
0: Obviously pleased. She's had a ton to be pleased with through 19 games. If you can nitpick at all going forward, <laughs> what does this team need to clean up, I guess, to uh, really, really solidify itself as, as the team to beat in the, in the country?
1: Well, Mississippi State's style coming into this game, Don acknowledged, could be a problem for them, and Coach Vic Schaefer from MSU kind of said afterwards that they didn't game plan too much in terms of their style to exploit South Carolina, and yet they managed to do so fairly successfully. And with that being especially on dribble drives, they like to kind of run a weave action that allows them to... You know, really test a man defense and get into the lane. And a lot of times, South Carolina's defenders just didn't seem to be too aggressive in challenging those drives and got left behind for easy buckets. So that's going to be something to look at. You know, perimeter defense collapsing into the lane is going to be really important. And another thing I noticed is South Carolina's bench only contributed six points against Mississippi State. And the past couple games, they've kind of been. Uh, not as quite as good as they were earlier. Earlier in the year, there was so much depth on this team, and that was kind of its selling point, that they had a nine, 90-player rotation that could conceivably all start, and they were all averaging upwards of five or more points a game, something crazy like that, especially in an early SEC play. Now they're really leaning heavily on the starters, which isn't the worst thing, and depth, you know, you really only need, you know, say, seven players to have a really competent rotation, but... You would like to see a little bit more scoring, a little bit more production from the bench.
0: South Carolina has some time off now after that win. Don't play again until Sunday at Georgia. Then they take on Ole Miss after that. And then it's uh, a little bit, I shouldn't say murderous row, but obviously three opponents that raise your eyebrows a little bit. Three ranked teams to start February with number 23 Tennessee at home, then travel to number 21 Arkansas. And then obviously the big one with the uh, fellow national power UConn on February 10th. Greg, what do you, anything you need to see from from this team uh, over these next two games to get them prepared for that three game stretch, starting with Tennessee and ending with UConn?
1: I mean, this is kind of the pitfall of covering a really good team is that you know these next two games, it's like they just have to take care of business. It's not super interesting from an outside perspective. You know, these are two teams that are outside the top 50 in RPI. They're not resume builders. It's not going to be super important to win. It's just super important not to lose. But that three-game stretch that you mentioned afterward, that's where it starts to get really interesting. Tennessee is a little bit fuzzy on how good they are, to be honest, just because their strength of schedule has been so poor. But they are a top-25 team at the moment, picking up another ranked win. That's another feather in their cap. And then Arkansas, they really took care of them the first time, but now they're on the road. That should be a great game. And, of course, UConn is the white whale. I mean, even though in this point, you know, South Carolina will be favored in that game, presumably, if all goes according to chalk up to that point, which is going to be a weird situation. You know, UConn's not quite as strong as they've been, and South Carolina is looking extremely dominant, but there is kind of sometimes you worry about the weight of history, I think, a little bit, and South Carolina has never beaten UConn. This is the best chance they'll have to do it. We're going to have a lot of talk going up into that, but that three-game stretch, I think, is going to be Basically, if they can get through that, they are, are looking at a number one seed pretty solidly in my
0: mind. Well, that's the South Carolina women's side, team that's rolling right now uh, at 18-1 and one after the Mississippi State win. Make sure to follow Greg for all your women's coverage.
1: Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. All right, so that's the women. So let's look at uh, your beat, Andrew. The men, they had a pretty big week of their own coming up with two big wins to kind of like we said the last time we were talking. It looked like the season was heading towards a cliff almost <laughs> of no return. And then they come out and they upset number 10 Kentucky at home and go on the road and pick up a win over Texas a&m Let's start with that win over the Wildcats. Absolutely thrilling, going back and forth all the way. And then Jermaine Cousinard hits that buzzer beating three. Take us through the atmosphere in Colonial Life for that game and what you saw, especially for Kuznard, taking over at the point guard role, what he was able to do so well for them.
0: Greg, can you go back and edit and just put in the sound of me from a couple podcasts ago when I said, don't be surprised this team beats Kentucky? Ended you said at, lose to end, Texas oh, A&M. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just end it at that don't be surprised they beat Kentucky, just so I sound smarter. But, no, right. I mean, no one is, was completely shocked This team pulled off what it did. I think the surprising elements to it was how uh, South Carolina did it. Because when we saw previously South Carolina hitting its potential, looking like that team people had high expectations for, we saw it in the Virginia game on December 22nd. Well, that Virginia game on December 22nd was led by uh, A.J. Lawson and Jair Bolden, two guys that combined for 36 points. Bolden had 22 in that game and was named SEC Player of the Week for his efforts. You know, you, you flip ahead to the next time they looked that good and that capable, and they beat Kentucky on a on a thrilling game, a buzzer beater, and it's like a whole new set of characters. Jair Bolden didn't even play; uh, was in the doghouse with with Frank Martin, coming off of just a couple of sluggish performances, and obviously Frank was sending a message there. And they rode Jermaine Kuznard. This was. Pretty much expected that he was going to be the point guard after that Tennessee game. Frank hinted at it on his press conference a couple days before the Kentucky game that, listen, he was not happy with point guard play. He had gone to Bolden. Lawson had done it. Let's let's try option number three. And it's not because Jermaine Kuznard is a typical point guard, right? He's not your guy that's going to go out there and, and distribute. He is a scoring point guard. That's going to go downhill and going to attack the rim. And for a South Carolina team coached by Frank Martin, that's what Frank wants. I mean, sure, he would love to have a distributor, a Chris Paul out there to kind of, you know, divvy it up. That's great. Every coach would want that. But Frank loves aggression. Frank loves a tone setter. And in basketball, the one position where you can set that tone is point guard. And even though Jermaine Kuznor kind of lacks some of those other skills, those attributes of a typical point guard, he can set a tone. Because he's aggressive, because he's physical, he's a good size at 6'4". And he did it right from the beginning against Kentucky. And then he finished that game in a dramatic way with 26 points. So what a way to take advantage uh, of your first career start and This is now. Yeah, I feel like this South Carolina season. The narrative about it has been rewritten now, like three, four different times. Now, now we're onto the Jermaine Kuznar chapter, right? So we'll we'll see how he does. And obviously, he he carried that on. Had another good game against against Texas A and M, and he's the guy now. You know, he's the guy until you know he has a bad game, and all of a sudden Frank benches him. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it will happen, but. This season's been full of surprises. Who knows what could happen next? But I I, I don't think that will happen because uh, Frank Martin has been pretty firm in saying, hey, this is the guy that most resembles me on the floor, right? This is the extension of me on the floor. This is the closest thing we have to Sundarius Thornwell since Sundarius Thornwell left from the guard position. And that is a huge deal for Frank and for this team to, to make some noise in the SEC. You know, fans obviously will say, "Is it too little, too late?" Making this move, and I agree with them. You know, it might be too little, too late. They might they might already be in too deep of a hole to get to where they want to be. But still, a lot of time left, and it's just kind of going to be a little be fun and interesting to see how this all plays out. But Kuznorts now the now the face of this team, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, you track the the trajectories, the highs and lows of this season. It's it looks like a bad blood pressure chart or something like that. Yeah. In that Kentucky game, you mentioned Jair Bolden. Also, A.J. Lawson and Mike Coatsar were pretty MIA as well.
0: Yeah, South Carolina scores 81 points against Kentucky, uh, misses 14 free throws, and Mike Coatsar, Jair Bolden, and A.J. Lawson combined for five points. Okay? (laughs) Now, if I would have told you they would have missed 14 free throws, number one, you probably wouldn't be surprised by that. But that two and the other part of that, three typical starters – Uh, Obviously, Bolden didn't start that game, but Coatsar lost and did. Going combined for five points, no way they would beat Kentucky. No way they would beat Kentucky. That just kind of tells you the fight they showed in that game, and they just caught fire offensively. I mean, 56 second-half points. Uh, Justin Minaya awoke from from a a long kind of rut he had had going offensively. He didn't score against Tennessee uh, a few days before that. Keyshawn Bryant showed that rim attacking ability. He has a couple of big putback jams that were. Those aren't, aren't only two points in the moment. Those are momentum-changing kind of plays because of the ferocity that he can attack with and the athletic ability, and it gets the crowd involved. So, you know, these were all, these were all important. T.J. Moss played the game of his career, 10 points all coming in the second half. All of Mania's 11 points came in the final 14 minutes. So it all kind of came together offensively, just not with the guys you would typically expect to beat a team like Kentucky.
1: All right, so you mentioned T.J. Moss having the game of his life. Keyshawn Bryant with some momentum-changing dunks. And then they go to Texas A&M, and T.J. Moss was uh, not available due to a death in the family. Trey Hannibal, who's kind of been a spark plug at point guard, is out with an injury. And pretty early on, Keyshawn Bryant leaves with uh, some sort of shoulder injury as well. Yeah, head injury. Head injury. You take all that, you take the slump A.J. Lawson's in, you take... All of that together, Texas A&M took an absurdly high number of free throws in that game, and yet they managed to come out of that with a win as well. And you talk about the offense coming together in a big way in the second half against Kentucky. That was about as locked in a shooting performance as I've I've seen from Frank Martin's team against
0: Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, tied a school record for three-pointers made with 16. Again... This timely offense comes against Kentucky, and it comes against A&M, in which both games featured trends that you just don't win a lot of games with. I mean, against Texas A&M, the Aggies shot 33 more free throws in South Carolina, which is uh, absurd, <laughs> just uh, incredible. Now, obviously, South Carolina you know, wasn't attacking the rim as much, so you don't draw as much contact, clearly, because – I think they took 33s and, and made 16 of them. So, you know, they were hot from the outside, so they stayed out there. But still, a 33 free throw difference between the two sides on the road. And South Carolina didn't just beat Texas A&M. They won going away. Led by as many as 15 in the second half. Ended up winning by 14. And, yeah, and did it without without guys there, without a lot of guard depth. You know, it took some some Iron Man like performances. I mean, Justin and I going the full forty minutes was huge. You know, he's put together now the best two games of his season, which is a really big sign uh, for this team going forward. And you know, they played a, a Texas A and M team that was second in the SEC in field goal percentage defense, and they shot the lights out against them. Went for eighty points, eighty one points, the most against the Texas A and M team all year. So, so they've scored now the most against Texas A and M of any of the Aggies' opponents this season. They've also scored the most against Virginia, against any of Virginia's opponents this season. This team has so much potential. (laughs) You know, it's just a matter of of, uh, how it looks on a a night-to-night basis. And uh, against the Aggies, it was was all offense. I mean, A.J. Lawson, who, again, did not play well from the majority of that game, looked like his slump was continuing. He woke up at the right time, kind of shook off some early foul trouble. Uh, and scored you know nine points late all on three pointers so these things just kind of all came together and they were able to make up for the lack of guard depth. They were able to make up for the Keyshawn Bryant injury. Jalen McCreary gave some good minutes off the bench. He's a guy that and then filled in that Bryant spot to start the second half. And I mean, Nathan Nelson played in this game, a walk on. Trey Anderson, who I don't think has been gotten off the bench since the exhibition game, a true freshman on this team, he played in that game. And there was a lot he had to work with or he had to kind of manage because of the, the hurdles that were thrown in, in that team's way. And, and to come out with a 14 point win on the road, I know AM's not very good. It's still still impressive.
1: And Jair Bolden, who is in the doghouse.
0: Yeah, that's the the other guy. I'm glad you mentioned him. Yeah, the guy, you know, Frank didn't make any bones about it. He knew he had to play. I mean, Frank could be as ticked off as ever as Jair Bolden, which I'm sure he still kind of is, but he had no choice. He had to play him in that game. There was no T.J. Moss. There was no Trey Hannibal. And good for Jair Bolden. Uh, He responded. I mean, 19 points. Started hitting threes again. I think he hit five of them. And, you know, Bolden, Manaya Kuznard, and, and Lawson Late were the big scores on that team. I think it was Mike Coatsar that kind of held all together uh, with his defensive presence and, and did, the, the, you know, kind of the dirty work. But just, a, again, a variety of characters. It's kind of the story of this season. Night in, night out. You don't know if South Carolina's going to win. You don't know if they're going to lose. You don't know who's going to lead them to winning. You know who's going to lead them to losing. It is a uh, get your popcorn ready every single night. I don't know how this season will play out, but it'll be fun. <laughs> Well,
1: speaking of how it's going to play out, I mean, the NCAA tournament feels like a huge reach at this point just because of the number of bad losses they've accumulated. That being said, when they get on a hot stretch like this, putting together some, some nice wins to get to 500 in SEC play, the postseason doesn't seem far-fetched.
0: Yeah, no, and, and and listen, I know people will be like, oh, it'd be the NIT, but if they get to the NIT, you know, it's it's a minor accomplishment, sure. I mean, I'd say more than that. It's it's progress. I know that this team went to the Final Four three years ago and uh, has missed the postseason entirely the last two. But, you know, the NIT is a realistic goal at this point. And I know some people thought – The NCAA tournament could be the destination for this team. Maybe it is. I mean, there's still plenty of time left. Certainly, they have a lot of things to overcome, uh, mainly two just bad losses with Boston University and Stetson. But can they get to 17-18 wins and get in that NIT? And I don't know. I mean, the way way parity is in college basketball this year, we could have some 17-18 win power five teams get in as an at-large. You don't know. Again, how how do those 17-18 wins play out? You know, South Carolina's resume will be an interesting one because you have the great wins, well, good wins over Virginia and Clemson on the road, um, but obviously the the bad losses. So that will be interesting to see how, how you look at that. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's there's an opportunity there for, for this team to finish strong. I think this team has the potential to win double-digit SEC games, for sure. Uh, the league is not as good as it was last year, and South Carolina won 11 games in the league last year. So, you know, with Drew Cousard leading the way <laughs> – uh, and who knows? We could be sitting here at this point next week talking about Trey Hannibal as now the new league guy. You don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Willens-Levesque you know, has this monster week. All of a sudden, he's the guy in, in a main role. So there hasn't been a whole lot of consistency uh, constants on this team to this point, but maybe they finally settled down. They're starting to find some, and maybe that will lead to a postseason berth down the line.
1: Or maybe we'll be back here next week wondering how they managed to lose two in a row again. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, that is all from the Go Gamecocks podcast this week. We will continue to have more coverage of both basketball teams as the season progresses and some baseball coverage as that season gets going. So thanks for listening, and please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.